Hello. Hi there. How are you, Gracky? I'm good, baby. How are you? <laughs> I'm pretty good, thanks. You're good. Um, welcome to the soft pod. Um, we hope that your Monday is going swell and um, we miss you. And I'm happy, happy to be here with you wherever I'm emotional. you're at. <laughs> Whether um, you're going on a walk or in the car. On your way to work. We're here. We're here for you and yeah. with you. <laughs> This is Isabel Marshall and I'm Grace Holter. <laughs> <laughs> Just in case you're wondering, we're going to get better at introducing ourselves. Um, Isabel Marshall, please give me three words to describe your week. Okay. So exciting. That's mm-hmm. such a vanilla word. <laughs> but it's exciting because um, my boyfriend is coming back from Sejuna in a couple of weeks' time. And there was a moment where we were having a little FaceTime. He's been there for the year for placement over there, which is an eight-hour drive. And... Um, we were just having a FaceTime and he was packing his bags. And I was like, wait, what are you doing? He was like, mm, packing my bags. And I was like, that means Say you're coming. Yes. Oh my so that's nice. That's exciting. I had a near death experience. So yes. I would say relieving is another Scary. word. I was just at my desk studying, minding my own business, had the heater on the ground next to me, keyword on the floor with no legs. With carpet. I'm an idiot. And then the smoke alarm started going off and it turns out that I had smoke literally underneath me and I didn't even notice because I was so engrossed in my study. Yeah, my favourite part about this is Izzy Izzy said she just adapted to her environment. I did. I adapted. I didn't notice the change because I was evolving with it. Mm -hmm. And then suddenly the smoke alarm found it and then I thought, wow, this is like climate change given that, you know, it's all happening around us. We're not – we don't have the fight or flight response – and then suddenly we all die. Yeah. It, yeah. <laughs> that is, yeah, that's exactly right. You're so correct. And um, my last word is energizing because I've been able to be on swap back, which means I get a little bit more, I guess, autonomy over how my days are spent. So I've been going Fuck on yeah. runs and studying. Good like queen. A, like a cool gal. <laughs> a cool gal. The coolest gal I know. What about you, Grack? Three words. Okay. Tamagotchi. <laughs> Sweaty and hungry. Expand. I bought a Tamagotchi, right? Yes. I did it. I saw, I was looking for PS5 stock on Target and I stumbled across the original Tamagotchis and they're $29 at Target. The color I wanted wasn't there, but I was willing but to But you got a nice lose. brown. It is brown. It's brown and pink, which is a cool color combo. Very Y2K. It's my keychain currently. It was beeping throughout the recording of this episode, so I will tend to it afterwards. <laughs> um, it's been stressful, but rewarding. <laughs> Being able to raise this child. Yeah. Sweaty because it's fucking hot today. And um, I thought I, I am ready. Mentally, I'm ready for summer. Physically, my body's not. And mm. I I you haven't. Get sweat glands. Legit. I should have like, worked out more or something. But my skincare routine, routine has to change now. There's changes <laughs> that are coming. I'm not prepared. I need a summer foundation that needs to be breathable. Let me know if you have recommendations. And hungry because I'm just fucking hungry all the time recently. (laughs) And no particular reason. (laughs) Anyway. Love that. (laughs) So we've had very exciting weeks um, and it has culminated to this moment Mm -hmm. where we have an important episode to discuss. The content of this episode is quite heavy. Uh, We do want to give a content warning. We are discussing themes of sexual harassment and uh, touching on themes of rape as well. If that's not something that you can or want to be engaging with at the moment, um, we suggest that you tune in for the next episode. Otherwise, we are very grateful that you're here and keen to have a very important discussion. We're discussing the problematic culture um, that exists within hospitality in Adelaide, in our hometown in Australia. And this is a very important sector. Uh, We are very grateful for this sector, but there is a dark side and we need to discuss it. Abuse in hospitality is obviously such a disheartening issue because I think it's fair to say the majority of humans love the culture of going out for dinner and not having to worry about literally anything at all except paying the bill and wondering if they have takeaway containers. The reality is there is an abundance of venues, specifically in Adelaide, who have deeply rooted issues with how they treat staff. Having worked in restaurants consistently up until the past year, I have experienced firsthand some of the inappropriate behaviours within management. And whilst this is absolutely not the case with all venues, some that I've worked in personally have been fantastic. But in the ones where it does occur, there is this blanket mentality which comes with the job, which is 
is kind of it's just it's just hospo it's just hospo culture the issue majority of the time in my opinion always begins with the owner behaviors are learned and influenced and people who allow abuse to be swept under the rug should be held accountable when i was watching izzy host at the adelaide festival ideas go queen she was amazing one of the guests that day was ben shuri who alongside being a very charming human owns attica which currently and has been for a very long time holding the spot of top restaurant in australia one of the audience members asked how to maintain a safe happy and caring place in hospitality especially among staff and ben's answer was the fish rots from the head which has always stuck with me it's very applicable to this conversation that we will have so without further ado let's head into the episode so today we are very lucky to have our guest Jamie Bussard to share more insights on this topic. Jamie is the lady behind Not So Hospitable, a social media account accepting anonymous testimonials and helping to spread awareness and create accountability within hospitality. Jamie is also currently studying her postgrad in sexology. I can't even credit how groovy this woman is, so you'll just have to click on the socials that we have linked for you so you can keep up with her. So, Jamie, we have many a question for you today. But firstly, as it is soft pod tradition, can we start by um, asking you three words to describe your past week? Yeah, three words to describe my past week. I would say stimulating, exciting and relieving. Oh, very good combination. A mixed bag. <laughs> yeah. A mixed bag of emotions this week. <laughs> um, stimulating from all of the things I've been doing in terms of like meeting people, um, lots of things with like the Adelaide City Council and all of these amazing government organizations that have taken interest in Not So Hospitable. Exciting because I've also just locked in a new job that I'm really yes, excited for. Yes. Um, and relieving because it's finally sunny and I've just been hitting the beach <sighs> a lot. Mm-hmm. So good. And I've been thriving. Yes. Have you been wearing sunscreen? Oh yeah, always. Good 50 girl. plus. Have you seen my pale freckly skin? I oh, think you look really quite, glowing. You, you mm-hmm. are glowing. Thank you. She's glowing. <laughs> we can. It's all fake. Don't tell them. Don't, Don't tell, tell them. them. So Jamie, can you describe to us what is not so hospitable? Yes. Not So Hospitable is a platform that is a social media page and a website that essentially highlights the prevalence of sexual assault and sexual harassment within the Adelaide Hospital scene specifically. So you can click on the Instagram page and it takes you to the link of the website where you can submit an anonymous testimony on your personal experience with either sexual assault or sexual harassment whilst working in, in hospital. It's amazing. Yeah. It's and well something, needed. Yeah, it feels it feels overdue. And it's just fantastic that, that Jamie's created the space to be able to to have these conversations and we're just really happy to have you on. So thank you so much. No, for thank being you for here. having me on. Um well we have some quite specific questions which we'd love to get into. What compelled you to start not so hospitable? It's quite multifaceted, I guess. I've been working in hospital for fourteen years. Yeah. It's huge. Yeah. That's a lot. That's a proportion of your life yeah because I'm 26 so I like my first hospital job was when I was 12 and that was it was working for um like a food festival in Tasmania that my auntie was working for but that's not the story anyway (laughs) 12 years 14 years sorry uh it's yeah it's always been a big part of my life it's something that's like brought me out of my shell Mm -hmm. taught me like all of my interpersonal skills yes Mm -hmm. um brought me to my closest friends um, it's kind of been like the, um, the center of like everything I've been doing. Mm. Um, my mom also has been working in the hospitality industry as well. So we had a family pub and worked for an alcohol company together. And I've always kind of known like the prevalence of sexual harassment because I'm a young woman who's experienced it more times myself than I could like count mm. on both hands. Um, so it's something I've always known and it's something I've always heard stories of my friends talk about. So it's been something that it's always kind of had my attention. But the thing that kind of pulled the trigger was I read the City Mag article that um, Johnny Van Einem po- like posted from City Mag and it was um, like a woman's experience of sexual harassment for this specific venue where the man actually got went to trial and went to jail. Wow. Um, and it was the first time I'd ever read anything about like the Adelaide hospital scene specifically with sexual harassment. And I saw that and then I shared the story on my like personal Instagram page and then all of these other people in my same circle, because I know so many people in hospo from working in the industry for so long, started sharing their stories too. So I just saw this huge movement of people and like mostly women sharing their experiences and I kind of went, oh my God, we need like a, a better, more official platform to kind of like funnel all of these testimonies mm-hmm. into. 
And, you know, I've gotten like heaps of inspiration from Chanel Contest, from Tears Consent. Mm, incredible um, woman. Incredible woman doing all these amazing things. And I went like the time is kind of now to do the same mm-hmm. thing. And I feel like I've got to jump on that fast. Mm. And then, yeah, here we are three months later. So good. Uh, yeah. When, um, because you started so young in hospitality, was there any point where you were like warned by anyone that this could be something that you need to look out for? Is it something you learned on your own? I think that it was something I learned on my own. I think as a woman, you learn pretty quickly the kind of environments that you're kind of exposed to, whether that's in hospitality or just like general society. Mm-hmm. As I got older, like people talk to each other. So there were actually these like beautiful moments of camaraderie where people would like warn you not to work for a specific person or a venue. So like over time that started happening where there are just certain venues that in Adelaide, you know, the venue owner or managers are like sexual perpetrators. Mm-hmm. So it's a bit of both, but I think that for the majority of young women working in hospo, it's something that you learn pretty quickly. Mm. Mm. Yeah, the unfortunate truth. Yeah, for sure. definitely. Mm. It's really interesting coming because I I've worked in a cafe and a restaurant for very mm. small amounts of time, like summer jobs and stuff. But I have a lot of friends, Grace, you were one of them, and a lot of friends through school who worked for years in the same venues. And I know that's been your experience as well. Um, and it's really interesting that as we've started to talk about hospitality, you you led with all the amazing things it's given you. And it's such an interesting just thought that it has shaped you so much Mm. it shapes everyone like people's friendship groups and I see it like as from the outside Mm -hmm. looking in sometimes I'm like jealous of it I'm like oh you guys look like you have such a great like environment and culture and friendship group looks so much fun that's a fun way to earn money and then there's this dark side of it and it's very I can imagine quite confusing to reconcile the two Mm -hmm. when you're in the center of it Totally. And this place is giving you a lot, but it's also taking a lot. Mm. Totally. And I think the li- the lines are really blurred so much of the time because you're working with friends. Mm-hmm. Um, you're working late hours a lot of the time. Your friends are normally your bosses in positions of power. And so those lines are so blurred. Mm. And I think that that always, that also comes into play about like the dark side and kind of the things that kind of happen because it's so normalized now, like Mm. sexual harassment in hospitality is so normalized that a lot of people don't even know they're doing it. Mm. And they don't even know that they're like perpetrators of assault or harassment because they've never been taught that. And they see Mm. it from their superiors and they've just grown up in that same culture. So for someone, they might think that like groping someone behind the bar is like fully appropriate Mm. or like, you know, sexually objectifying them is super appropriate or like continuously texting someone asking them out, asking like to sleep with them is super appropriate, but it's not. So it's like this big disconnect of like, of education and trainings and um, like workplace culture Mm. and like behavior. So a lot of these these testimonies and stories that are coming through your website and they, they are still coming through, right? it's kind of a continuous thing. They're, yeah, they're yeah. still coming through. Do you find that people's testimonies have common threads? Yeah, they do. Um, I'm kind of now, now that I've finished uni for the year I actually have the time to kind of turn this data into like tangible digestible infographs and patterns and patterns Mm. and yeah there's like so there's so many common threads the majority of women are the majority the majority of people testifying are women the majority of perpetrators are men in positions of power at their workplace Mm -hmm. but that's not to say that it doesn't happen to men too it does Mm -hmm. you know it happens with all genders but the majority of the people coming forward saying they've been assaulted are women and it's coming from bosses. Mm. So that's a really common thread. Another one is that they have tried to report it and it's either been brushed under the rug or their shifts have been cut or they've been fired. Mm. So they've tried to actually report it or do something about it and nothing's been done. So that's another really common thing that I've been seeing. nothing's been done. There's like negative reinforcement. Yeah, it's just this perpetual cycle. And there's like – and this is a thing. There's so many reasons why – a venue might not go forward with a report. I, tr- I t- actually believe that the biggest one is that they don't, there's not enough training to know what to do. So there's no like mandated sexual assault or harassment trainings in any hospitality venues at this point. Mm-hmm. And because of that, there's a huge gap between someone reporting and a manager knowing what to do with this report. They're out of their depth. Um, if, for example, um, there's a report made on that manager's boss, if that's a venue owner, mm-hmm. then that manager is also kind of put at a standstill because his job or their job is also on the line. So mm. there's this cycle of corruption that's quite mm. hard to break. Absolutely. Um, and so that's kind of what Not So Hospitable is doing is um, I'm really trying to get like legislative mandated trainings in place for venues and make it accessible for venues. So all managers, everyone with an RSA or an RP badge has to go through training so that they understand what to do and they're kind of, they have the tools to mm-hmm. deal with situations like this that are going to happen. So just to clarify for 
people who haven't worked in this scene, RSA and RP badges. Can you Sorry. Them? Yeah, no, um, I said all the time, forgetting that people don't know what that means. Um, <laughs> responsible service of alcohol mm-hmm. is essentially something that you legally need to get in order to work in a venue with alcohol. So mm-hmm. anyone coming into hospo needs an RSA and that's mm-hmm. an online training module that you do. Yeah. And it's quite easy to get also. Like it's Super a piece easy. of cake. It's a piece of cake. Yeah. Um, an RP badge is your responsible person's badge. So that's given to um, managers or supervisors or people in a position of power that are kind of the ones that deal with incidences on the floor. So within a hospitality venue, you need at least one RP badge on shift yeah. to make it like a legal operating venue. Yeah. Well, and you obviously, yeah, have to do your RSA training for any venue where you serve alcohol it would be amazing if there was it was the same to to work in hospitality you have to do an online training course or some type of training course um about sexual harassment in mm-hmm. hospo with rp badges i had an rp badge when i was in hospo and it was just such a bizarre thing it was kind of one of those like your manager is just like oh can you get an rp badge and it was more so so the the manager could not be there mm. um and they could have other people so yeah. to take a box essentially and I guess if anything were to go wrong like at times with COVID for example and you were um over capacity you'd be the person that would have to speak to the authorities if if you got caught the RP badge was it's more of a like status thing I feel within hospo like if you have the RP badge you know the manager wants you as like your 2IC which is second in charge yeah but really it, you know you don't get you don't get trained for, for those experiences mm. you might have to handle um, with what comes with that RP badge. Mm. Yeah, definitely. And mm. then you're sort of your depth. So what if like you're the person with an RP badge that's had no trainings? And then I had none. St- yeah, right? <laughs> yeah. And then a staff member comes to you and they're like, hey, I've, I've just been like assaulted or harassed. Yeah. You have no mm. idea what to do and it doesn't Absolutely. really go anywhere. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's kind of what I'm fighting for. So fingers crossed. Mm. That's something that we'll hopefully see next year and the next couple of years. Mm. That's been a lot of support. Yeah. The incentives just, it's so far. I keep saying overdue. It's my, it's my, my word, word of the day. It's just so overdue. <laughs> Were you surprised by the range of different experiences that people had in their testimonies? No, I wasn't. But that's because sexual harassment is such a wide spectrum. There's so many different behaviours that classify as harassment and assault. And I think that's another part of education that people don't really understand is that most of the time, I think the general consensus is that when you think of sexual harassment, you go straight to rape. Mm -hmm. And that's not the case. It's, it's again, everything from like groping, unwanted touching, unwanted sexual advances, asking someone else else out when they didn't want to it's like putting porn up in a work locker for example Mm -hmm. they've actually enforced this new law where even the like look up and down like checking someone out is classified as sexual harassment so it's if it's any sexual advancement that makes a person humiliated or uncomfortable Mm -hmm. so I think the testimonies that I found just really represented the like the wide range of assault Mm -hmm. that people are experiencing Mm -hmm. yeah it's pretty it's pretty full on. Yeah. I'm the only one reading these testimonies at the moment too. Are like you I'm, okay? That would yeah, be a lot, a lot of pressure. pressure. A lot. I have m- moments where it's quite full on. Um, I'm pretty good at like my well-being and looking after myself. Mm-hmm. I think that my degree has really set me up to support myself in this space. Absolutely. And they they really enforce that too mm-hmm. about looking after yourself, especially if you're going into this subsection of sexology, which mm-hmm. is more sexual harassment training and abuse training. So far so good. But I've, I've recently realized that I would like to expand my team. So it's just, mm. it's not just me doing this yeah. from now on. It's understandable. You may need the support. It's, yeah. a, it's mm-hmm. an extreme amount of, of pressure that it's amazing that people can come to you and trust you with these things. But it's also, you know, you can only do so much right now. Like you're trying to help them, but but receiving all this information, I can imagine it, it could actually be quite traumatizing in a way for you as well. Yeah. I think I'm trying to hold space for the people that feel comfortable sharing their te- testimonies with me. And also just um, because I'm also not a, a trained psychosexual th- therapist as well. Mm-hmm. So it's not really, I'm really careful about, I don't want to become someone's therapist because mm. I haven't trained in that profession yet, yeah. but just pass, be the middleman to pass along resources, mm. l- free legal advice, access to information yeah, um, and kind of point people in the right direction if they need extra support or mm. care. Being like the vessel. I'm the vessel at the moment. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I remember seeing all the stories on Instagram of people sharing what you were doing with not ho- not so hospitable. And I think it was quite public and quite obvious, which is exactly the point. Mm-hmm. It's amazing. But obviously you would have had a lot of response from both hospo workers, but also I'm assuming venues and like managers and people mm-hmm. in those like 
the, those um, roles of authority. What was the response like from both those parties? Yeah, honestly, a lot of venue managers and owners were quite receptive to it and they essentially were just wanting to open dialect and give me their experiences of why it's been really difficult for them, mm-hmm. hence the lack of training, um, being out of their depth, not really knowing what to do. And a lot of them were saying like all of the ownership and pressure is on the venue, but there needs to be accessible extra support coming from government bodies Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and external training facilities. Um, So that was a really interesting takeaway. And yeah, staff, the staff members were super receptive to it. I think a really interesting point of conversation that um, has come up a couple of times is being like, why are you putting the hospitality industry down? We don't need this. COVID has been a really difficult time for all of us. We don't need something else knocking us down. But my retort to that is essentially, this is going to make the hospitality industry stronger at the moment Mm -hmm. we're overworked, understaffed, struggling the most we have in a really long time because COVID has kind of rattled everyone. Mm -hmm. And this is actually a really good step in the right direction because it's going to enforce like stronger working rights, Mm -hmm. respect and cultivate a really healthy and positive culture in in Mm. hospitality. So I actually really welcome people coming at it with that point of view because I really like to have the conversations with them and show them this isn't something scary that's just started happening it's always been happening but you know if you if you don't want your staff to be safe at work that's also something that you should Mm. probably really like reconsider that's a reflection (laughs) point yeah that's definitely a reflection point that you should go away and and mull over for a little while and I'm sure that conversation will keep coming up but it's Mm. just about kind of like broadening the conversation and really highlighting that this will create a stronger industry Mm. Mm-hmm. overall it's really good to hear that some venues are coming forward and and creating more conversation about it I know a lot of people have commented on your social media asking you to out venues and, mm-hmm. and specific people mm-hmm. so what is your response to people who are asking that of you yeah I made a I made a decision before I started this where my objection my objective isn't to name and shame as much as you know with the personal experiences that I have I would love to name and shame some of the venues that I've had experiences with. I don't think that's the best way to be listened to and kind of make the most change. I think the way is giving access to education, looking for the holes of why these things are happening and start getting people to have these conversations instead of just pointing the finger and being labelled this angry feminist that's mm. kind of yelling in the wind. Oh, God, you know, that's, that's, a, not, that's a can of worms. I'd love mm, that you said that. Right? Like, <laughs> but, like, but no one's going to listen to me if I do it this way. So I'm, People I get be, defensive straight yeah, away. Yeah, they do. And they're not open to the conversation. Definitely. And, yeah, I don't want to out anyone. I don't want to ruin anyone's career. I don't want to ruin anyone's venue. I just want to help be a part of the like progressive change that we can get from having these conversations. Mm-hmm. For people to not just be sorry, but be better. Great takeaway. How do you think that the people who have perpetrated this harassment should feel and what should they do to make it right? Ooh, um, that's a question I haven't had before. Um, I think that they should be really reflecting on their behaviours. Mm-hmm. I think yeah. that if now is a time where even if you didn't realise what you had done is sexual harassment or you've reflected and that's something even if you've done in the past, like take the time to reflect. Like I don't believe in cancel culture um, because I truly believe you have to be able to give the space to evolve and change with the current times. So I think they should reflect, have conversations with other people in their space if they're managers they should be having these conversations in their space they should be making proactive choices to educate themselves and get the trainings they need um and also not perpetrate again that's probably mm. probably the main <laughs> one <bottom> line. <laughs> yeah yeah today I was preparing for this interview and I uh, was listening to a podcast that you were in and you were I guess describing the different ingredients that make hospitality a sector in which this kind of behavior can kind of be perpetuated Mm -hmm. and one thing you said that um I found really interesting was that it's a service industry Mm. and that stuck out to me because I mean I was likening it to my own experience and I'm in the hospital generally on placement Mm. and it's also a service industry I guess Mm -hmm. um and the prime goal is always to be servicing in our case the patients but in your case the customers Mm -hmm. and it's the people are right there in front of you so it's like you you can't just sort of reflect and think at the time you have to just be getting through your jobs Mm -hmm. it's very forward facing it's like frontline workers Mm -hmm. what do you think about that what's your thoughts on that I think that it's considered a second class industry Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people Mm -hmm. consider hospitality workers to be someone like not necessarily looked down on, but an industry that's looked down on as a whole where you're either coming in in a casual capacity because you're also studying for your like proper job, quotation marks, yeah, right. whilst working in hospital mm. and you haven't really committed to career hospitality 
And that's like another reason that the casual staff rate is so high. Yeah. And it's a lot harder to track. But I generally think that within society, I think that it's considered a, considered a second class industry. And that's probably one of the biggest reasons that we haven't really had such a reform in this conversation yet, mm-hmm. where it's happening in parliament with Brittany Higgins. It's happening with schools and the yeah. educational system. It's happening in all of these other industries. But yeah, never really in hospital until quite recently. Yeah. And also just like that that concept of like you're there for other people. Yeah. Just like that's the mindset. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. you're not there to serve yourself. You're, you're accommodating to everybody yeah. else. Yeah. So yeah. your the needs are Right. Yeah, you're there yeah. to serve. And it's mm. like, no, 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 but you're also there to like make work and your work is valid and mm. you should be re- respected at work and um, you shouldn't be abused at work. Yeah. Mm. Like so many people are rude to hospital workers. Yeah. And I'm like, well, just, you know, take a backseat, Margaret. Just yeah. chill yes. out. Margaret, um, just chill out. That's the thing as well. There's some people who are so lovely to hospitality workers, but do, the, you know, do they actually value them and do they see them as professionals Mm. I know there's sometimes where when I used to work in hospitality where I would totally accept someone treating me like shit after they tipped me like it could have been a really poor experience they expected a lot of me and they didn't treat me the best but they thought my service was good and they gave me money and I'd totally just write that off and be like Mm. well you know they tipped me it's part of the job yeah but it doesn't it doesn't at the end of the day I still go home and I've been treated like shit yeah I'm accepting money to be treated like shit yeah. was what was happening, but totally. And it, like, mm. it's really draining. For sure. It's so draining. And that's such a shit part of it where they just, people, I think culturally just kind of expect that they can treat you like shit and mm. that's okay because you're serving them. And it's like, well, you've also just come into my venue that I work for. Mm. So yeah. I should really have the right to like say no if someone's treating me unfairly. My manager should back me up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The venue owner, owner should have like a no assholes policy. And some venues are really good at that. Some are terrible and they don't really give a fuck. Mm-hmm. So, you know, yeah, it's, it's interesting. It is interesting. And it's, it's so, that's such a good point that you brought up where Jamie spoke about the service industry. Is it that people are being served? Is it just the way you come into that environment and you adapt to that? And there just needs to be so much change so that people realize that people serving on them is a, is a choice mm. and that they should give you their utmost respect because you are choosing to serve them mm. as opposed to to you deserving something from them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it comes back to in all of these discussions, respect for another person, like someone serving you, you go into a cafe, a restaurant, that person that's serving you is a human like Mm -hmm. has just as much value as you that person that you work with that someone might be acting in a really really inappropriate way towards that person that's a person they've Mm. got just as much value as you like it all comes back to respect definitely and you you know if someone came over to your house you wouldn't treat them like shit no be respectful in the house it's the same kind of yeah, yeah that's a great that's analogy a really for sure. Analogy. It's yeah. under the roof of, of the place you're working. Yeah. You you mentioned this a little bit earlier and nobody wants the industry to be damaged by people coming forward with their experiences. But at the end of the day, some of the bigger players in hospitality are directly involved. So what do you think it would look like for them to be held accountable, not just in general, but also in a in a legal sense? I think... I mean, there's a lot of people in Adelaide that should be probably going to jail. There's a mm-hmm. lot of venue owners that probably should not be opening those venues and managing staff underneath them. Mm-hmm. I think that it's getting to that point where there will have to be some people held accountable that have perpetrated multiple women. Because, I don't know, maybe from a venue's point of view, like there won't be heaps of change until you start seeing consequences for these actions mm-hmm. mm, those examples um, yeah exactly so I mean yeah I don't really know where not so hospital was going to go in terms of like contributing to people going to prison or being charged um what I'm hoping is that through this movement um it's showing people that potentially have been assaulted or harassed that will maybe questioning reporting it to the police or getting legal advice that maybe didn't know how to or didn't think that their report would be listened to. I think that this movement has created a lot of community and conversations. So what I'm hoping is that there are some people out there who now feel the courage to go and report Mm. it to the police Mm -hmm. and then the police will do their flipping jobs which yeah. is you know yet to be seen yeah um, minimum, please do it true <laughs> yeah you're just almost like a big flashlight and you're just like shining a light on it and people know they're under the light now mm-hmm. like uh, hopefully that just means they're less likely to be naughty <laughs> totally and if you're, like, you're seeing people having these conversations then yeah hopefully that makes staff kind of stand up as well and be like uh-uh like not yeah. anymore like people are watching now mm-hmm. yeah so absolutely hopefully some people are sweating yeah mm-hmm. I mean, I think it should come from venues. I think it should come from government. I think there should be like all of these different bodies contributing to the same cause. Mm -hmm. 
um, because venues do have to pay for RP badges, for example. Mm. But I think the government needs to pay for creating trainings to legislate accessible education. So they needs to be, whether that's within the RSA training, where they're just kind of like modules and you do the modules. From the conversations I've been having in government now, creating a whole other separate entity outside of the RSA might be quite difficult, but kind of adding that information into the RSA mm-hmm. is more accessible. That so those networks are already there, you may as yeah, well. Yeah, and people already have to pay to do the RSA. Yeah. But I do believe that there should be so much more funding put mm-hmm. in these trainings. And that is something that the government should care about because at the end of the day, if there's like less workers in hospitality, if people are quitting the industry because they're burnt out and kind of like sick of um, how shit they've been treated and the terrible working conditions that COVID has kind of done, mm. like globally, mm-hmm. it's really made everyone slow down and second guess what they want to do and why, the, how they want to be treated. Yeah, I just think it's in the government's best inter- interest to give a fuck because it's like one of it's like tourism. I say literally promotes South Australia as the hospitality sector, festivals, wine, mm-hmm. food. Like that's what they promote to all of the other. Mm. You got to invest states. in it. So why would you promote something that you don't really um, like care for to sustain? Mm. It's one of those classic that will come out in the wash kind of when it comes to financing it. Like, yes, it might cost a little bit more up front, but then down the track, you've got like a probably a slower turnover rate of like employees. Mm -hmm. You've probably like it would it would positively impact like mental health. Mm -hmm. And so there's some costs there, like in terms of the public purse that they'd be able to save. Yeah, it's I reckon that would come out in the wash perfectly. Mm. (laughs) Tell it to to all my boys in government. (laughs) Tell it to them. Yeah, even like mental health is such a big thing in hospitality. Drug and alcohol abuse, Mm. mental health. I mean, we're in a mental health care crisis now. Mm -hmm. For sure. Um, So, yeah, it just... It just makes sense too. And also if so many patrons are now starting to boycott venues that they know is owned or managed by sexual harassers. Mm. So it's also kind of within everyone's best interest to do this so people, patrons start Mm. going out and spending money again mm-hmm. helping yeah. that economic flow if human rights aren't enough an incentive enough for you then maybe <laughs> yeah the the finances of it will be. definitely but you've got to kind of give people both sides of that because yeah. a lot of the time people will only listen if it directly like benefits them financially yeah. for sure because mm. that's the world we live in yeah mm. do you know if uh obviously a lot of um the research you've been doing is specific to adelaide mm. as far as you're aware is it a, a south australian specific issue Oh my God, no, if it's happening in Adelaide, it's damn well <laughs> happening all over Australia, probably mm-hmm. most of the Western world. Oh my goodness, I've been getting people reach out to me asking to make it national. Yeah. And I would love to do that, but I feel like I want to do it really well in Adelaide first mm-hmm. and see reform and legislative change mm-hmm. and then try to expand and bring mm-hmm. it to other states. Yeah, and also if it's happening in a city like Adelaide, it's happening rurally as well. So we have to remember all the rural towns where you have le- less access to information, less access to support and help. Yeah happening all over Australia yeah I've noticed like I won't say any specifics but um just I guess having a small insight into some of the hospo scene in Sydney Mm. the added complexity is like are are people that own these venues that are like millionaires yeah billionaires yeah and there's a huge power imbalance Mm -hmm. when as and I know you've talked about this before on other um in other capacities but particularly when like VIPs and inviting people to your venue is such a maybe you were talking I think maybe you're talking about it Grace yeah um yeah VIP enabling is that what it's called that's just what I've been calling yeah the whole idea of letting someone kind of you know, push boundaries because you, even though you're not being respected as much as you should be, you are receiving other benefits mm-hmm. in a way. Yeah. So benefit, like whether it's financial, whether it's free drinks, whether it's like all these sort of benefits that come in with like, with bringing certain groups into a venue. And then there's like the power imbalance of, of the money that's involved. Like mm. it's very complicated. Like that transactional factor. But, yes, yeah. exactly. That That's the word, transactional sure. factor. That's a really good one. Like same as Adelaide though. So many of the biggest venues, mm. the most successful restaurants, clubs, bars, whatever it is, are owned by big groups. And yeah. the people that own those groups are millionaires. Yeah. So how that makes them even like less accessible and less touchable because yeah. they have more money. Yeah. Because power equals money. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's, yeah, it's that question of these people that own, you know, like, 
like, I don't know, five, 10, 20 venues mm. that are making millions of dollars have essentially been untouchable until now. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like that's a really common thread that's happening like everywhere. We have some more atomic topics that we'd love to bring up with you, um, especially given your background in sexology. Yes. I am particularly interested in this question. In your opinion, what is it about sexuality that makes it such a damaging tool for people to use to assert power and control? Like what is it about like sex and sexuality that is, that can be weaponized so like so efficiently? This question is so layered. I mean, like gender stereotypes in general have a huge part to play in sexuality. I think in terms of like the stereotypes of men and women and the patriarchy and men being able to assert dominant power over women, you know, women being seen as sexual objects put there to be um, pleasers of men really has a lot to to play into in terms of why men think that they can enforce these power dynamics and assaults on women. And it's so normalized Mm. now that that's just like an inherent part of our culture, you know, like most um, like domestic and, and, and um, gendered violence come from men assaulting women um, that they are in relationships with. Mm. So there's so many layers to that. I mean, sexuality is something that's so taboo to talk about still. Mm. Um, And it's this really scary concept for so many people because most of our generation haven't had comprehensive sexuality education. We're just starting to see that now. Like it's literally just been mandated for next year where all schools legally now have to do it, which is great. But everyone up until then (laughs) has not really had any. Like I remember, like I've been to so many religious schools all had shocking sex ed. It was normally done like once a year by my PE teacher who was forced to do it. That was also awkward. With the banana. They hated it. With the banana. It's all about, but they also teach you, it's all about um, like reproducing. Like it's all Mm. function based. Mm. So it's all about like having sex to to make babies. There's nothing on female pleasure. There's nothing on gender identity uh, or anything outside of the like heteronormative kind of like structure of man and woman equals marriage and babies Mm -hmm. and I think that also has like a really big part Mm -hmm. to play and we're just kind of seeing sex ed and like sexuality become mainstream in the way that people outside of like heteronormative lifestyles and behaviors are like also being represented Mm -hmm. you know so yeah like in terms of sexuality and sex in general like where the physicality and the psychological aspect of it comes together is Mm -hmm. just like the most it can be exploited Mm -hmm. so badly and can Mm -hmm. have so many I'm just so interested in like why like this this thing that generation or literally every human it's like such a part of humans reproducing mm. like it's so functional mm-hmm. but it's like this layered thing where mm. like it's so it's fascinating deep. isn't it it's mm. so it's so deep because you do you have the like physiological aspects of like um, sexual arousal and desire and who you're attracted to and then you have the primitive side of um, why you're attracted to that person and like mm. that instinct to have sex like there's a reason it's so good you know mm-hmm. what I mean like it's the two inevitables of, de- of, of life are sex and death mm. and sexuality is so broad and there's so many layers to yeah. that and when someone crosses a line it's like so painful mm. yeah and, and it's, it's so personal yeah mm. it's so based around pleasure and yeah Mm. personal everything about it is so personal and it just becomes weaponized so easily Mm. and it's such a shame because it's something like so special to so many people and it can absolutely just be the biggest detriment Mm. on your future experiences Mm. yeah it's fascinating Mm. so fascinating i'm jealous you get to study it so Mm. deeply (laughs) oh my goodness if you're doing medicine you should definitely do a postgrad in sexology yeah you know yes there's so many people that have come in that have already got their like degree or masters in either like medicine or psychology Mm -hmm. and they come in to do sexology as a postgrad to like up the ante of what they know this is a more of a general I guess musing on psychology and people and identities and stuff it's very vague but what I'm saying is I'm wondering if you think that people are attracted certain personality types are attracted to those like management authority roles in hospitality and those personality types are problematic or do you think that the role that they find themselves in and then the environment kind of brings it out brings out the problematic I think it's both Yeah. yeah I think it's both I think it's like I think there's so many different factors that influence the culture now that it can't just be one thing it's a whole number of things mm. So, yeah, a lot of people might go into this industry with dominant traits wanting to insert power or assert power and, you know, like the power dynamic and would come into these roles specifically to do that. I also think that 
the industry kind of cultivate cultivates the environment. Like yeah. I think a lot of people don't really come into it being like, I'm going to assert so much power and sexually harass people all the time. But yeah. I think that the industry <laughs> cultivates itself and that happens really naturally because it's mm. normalized. Yeah. That was amazing. I, I had flashbacks to, to certain bosses when you did that. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. Tapping back in. Yeah. But um, you're right. They are like subconsciously or maybe consciously awarded, awarded for, rewarded for it. Yeah, like the, that behavior because it gets them power and authority, and mm -hmm. um, it's an easier route to take when you're managing people. Like, yeah, and they can just get away with it because yeah. they've seen other people get away with it, so yeah. no one really calls you out on it. Mm. Um, it's just really, really a really ingrained part of our culture that people don't really like to talk about because it's so taboo. Mm. Mm. This is a um a, a topic that that Izzy you actually brought up about um why are we so we were going to do an episode on it why are we so attracted to authority figures and what is it about it that we oh, have yeah. this need to in a deeper sense Im impress and and prove ourselves to them yes and and this they're like the epitome of success yeah and for those people that don't have the I guess right head on their shoulders to be able to handle that authority what it looks like when when people will do anything to to please them i guess and mm. and that can be for um furthering your career mm. and and that abuse of power just becomes so easy when when there's already people who naturally it was more specific mm. to we were talking about as women sometimes why do we find ourselves attracted to people of authority mm -hmm. mm. which is disappointing to say out loud but when we like when your brain when your brain's like that is so Fighting. wrong <laughs> yeah 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 and but like there's some there's something about it sometimes mm. totally there's so many like layers to that too because it, like I don't know. I feel like we're also taught as women that we're second-class citizens mm -hmm. and men are the ones in positions of power that are successful because they're getting paid more. Mm -hmm. They are the dominant sex in terms of like power. So I think that's something that's like so deeply ingrained in us is to seek approval mm -hmm. because we're not able yes. to, it's not, e it's not as mm -hmm. easy for us to yeah. do generally. Mm -hmm. But then you go into the, like, I don't know, then you also, my mind just kind of was like, oh, let's talk about like kink and fetish. And also mm. there's like the dumb, dumb yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah, for as sure. Well. And that's just like a really like valid fetish to have mm. where you're like, sometimes I like just to be dominated. Can we yes. have another episode about this? So drawing the line. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, totally. That's Yeah, we, we need some tools in the toolbox for that line. Absolutely. Drawing. <laughs> <laughs> a pencil, if anything. <laughs> Give me an eraser. Yeah. <laughs> this is positive in, in so many ways, but I think the fact that the Adelaide hospitality scene is so interconnected almost makes it more dangerous given some of, you know, the claims regarding assault and harassment everybody knows everyone and with that comes knowledge of personal information and relationships and I say this because there's there's places that I feel no longer comfortable going to anymore one of the topics that we have listed is the concept of clubs as playgrounds for owners because they you know like call the shots they can give out free drinks they can let people in who they want to and even if it's gonna result in them getting money they can prevent people from coming in because, um, you know, it's our stomping ground. Mm -hmm. And there's a club in the city that I, I used to be really close with one of the owners. And some of my friends in the past have worked there. And the, they told me that he, he watches me on the cameras whenever I went in there. Um, and there's been screenshots sent around of me there before. And I struggle all the time trying to rationalise in my head why it's okay. Because he built the place and he's put a lot of love and effort into it. And he owns a and it's his workplace and I'm coming in there. But the fact that I'm being monitored on camera and I have no say over what is done with those videos makes me, yeah, really uncomfortable. And I think as well, like, is it just happening to me or does, like, do they do that with other people as well? And I think about it, yeah, I think about it sometimes. And I think it's fair to say that there is a very fine line of an abuse of power and, and that is really close to crossing mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. line. Yeah, that's so awful. I would feel so uncomfortable in that mm. same position. Like, that's an act of sexual harassment. Is it? Yeah. I didn't know that. If someone's I watching you on camera without your say, mm. like, I mean, it's hard to prove because they're also, they like, could just be like, it's for my job. But if they're just actively, like, sending photos of you to other people and screenshotting it, like, that's creepy as fuck. And mm. it's really bizarre. It's and creating dialogue around it. Yeah, like, exactly. someone obviously told you because... Mm. I ended up seeing one of the screenshots. It was because it was a a moment that he found funny and I just felt really upset that that was being sent around because it's not it, you know it's a it's 
without getting into like what it was about, it was a personal moment. It wasn't anything super humiliating, but the fact that there was a photo of me just going about my evening without my consent, going around being sent to people, it made me really upset. And I don't know, it's just because I know they have to have security for reasons where, you know, something could happen and they need that as evidence for anything. But I, and really what's stopping anyone who works in a in a club or any place with cameras to just be watching on mm. the cameras because you know it, it could be security checking mm. and seeing what's going on mm. and it's yeah as you said so hard to prove when it's for not that it's personal gain but personal reasons to mm. be observing somebody when they're not aware mm-hmm. they're being watched mm. it's like yeah just predator move like it's just gross and I think yeah there's such a fine line where so many club owners because yeah it's just one big party for them mm-hmm. they kind of do what they want and they hire young girls so they can get them drunk on shift and sleep with them like mm-hmm. there's so many testimonies that have like shared similar experiences to yours where club owners essentially can kind of do what they want it's their own as you said playground and they're just able to kind of like enact these incidences of harassment and assault and just being creepy and slimy because they can and because they own the club. So, like, who else is going to kind of, like, exactly. fight them on it? Yeah. There's no there's no one to come and tell them what to do. Yeah. Yet. And they just have to figure out on their own. Mm-hmm. What do you think the venue owners can do to kind of be better in terms of that scenario, or to, apart from not doing it, mm-hmm. um, but just to make it a safer, a safer space? Yeah, that's a really good question. I think um, – I think that a really important thing that venue owners need to start really thinking about is the fact that their hospitality staff are not there for them to sleep with. Like you shouldn't be just hiring young pretty girls so you can sleep with them. Like in any other industry, it's not really appropriate or acceptable um, to sleep with your staff members. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of managers or people in positions of power or club owners, like I've never really thought about that because I've Mm -hmm. just been like, well, you know, even if we're both consenting like it's fine but there's a power dynamic in play and you shouldn't as a boss be sleeping with all your staff Mm -hmm. um because then the power dynamic has changed and if anything was to go sour the staff member has no rights they've got no legs to stand on the boss can fire them or get rid of them they wanted if it ever became awkward Mm -hmm. um so it's like really thinking about the reasons behind why you're hiring people you're hiring Mm -hmm. is it just because you want to sleep with them and party with them if that is so, then they probably shouldn't be um, venue owners no, managing yeah. staff. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I think it's just not professional in any no, sense. No, but it's not right. It's and not. this is their job. They they need to be professional. That's the vibe of a job. Totally. I think it's like a big like look yourself in the mirror yeah. kind of mm-hmm. moment. And if you recognise that you've done any of these kind of behaviours before, go get education and trainings. Like mm. if you want to do better, there's so many ways for you to learn and start doing better. Mm-hmm. And I think that a lot of people probably didn't even realize what they were doing was super slimy, but they might be listening to this being Mm. like, oh my God, it's me. Yeah. Mm. Like go educate yourself, Mm. like go educate yourself on how to like appropriately handle your staff. For Mm. sure. Even to protect yourself. Like if you, you, you're not this person and you're in a position of power, you can, you can make mistakes by not knowing. Yeah. Yeah. Not knowing. And Mm. you can make someone, yeah, really uncomfortable. You may have the best intentions but you need to know what's right and wrong. Mm -hmm. And if you know what's right, you know, you're not going to make these mistakes that could jeopardize your Mm. career and other people. There's like literal legal implications and fines that you can get also. So Mm -hmm. like to know your rights as a staff member, you could, you could like take this up and follow legal advice and take them to court or press charges. And there's lots of compensation for women who've experienced this. Like you can get monetary value off it and you can get fined as a venue. Like how can you not be so interested in your workplace conduct that you don't even think about the fact that you could get slapped with a like really big fine also. And like that sucks if that's the only incentive to doing better. Like just be a good human. Yeah. And on the other side of that educational coin is like that a lot of the workers themselves don't know what's inappropriate. Like Mm. sometimes if you're not, you you know, you put the blame on yourself. Like if anything comes, if, if someone behaves inappropriately towards you, but you don't know the vocabulary or you don't know what is defined as inappropriate, you often just think it's you. You think mm. you led them on or you may have done something or mm-hmm. like you kind of made it okay in that scenario and then you interpreted it wrong. Mm. Like that education piece needs to sit with the, the workers as well. 
Definitely, because mm. it's like it's not your fault. Yeah, no. it's never your fault. Yeah, especially just the amount of young people that come into a hospital and they just it can be that first first time in hospitality. I was a I was a fucking baby when I came into yeah. hospital, and you learn quick. Mm. Yeah, you learn quick that things are different, mm. and it shouldn't be that way. Mm. You should be treated. The like, playground's hard. <laughs> the playground's hard. There's the bullies. So hard. There's <laughs> bullies everywhere. <laughs> It's uh, true, but so many babies are coming in. Like, I was a baby. Even, mm-hmm. like, when I moved to Adelaide, I was 17. And, yeah, I was still a baby mm-hmm. and I learned quick. You were quite literally a baby. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. you were a, a Legally child. baby. Literally a teeny mm-hmm. tiny baby. Yeah. Is there anything in particular you wanted to say to anybody who's listening about Not So Hospitable or just about you in general? I mean, yeah, if you're listening to this and you have experienced something, like, within the realm of sexual harassment at work in hospo um, and you haven't felt comfortable to share your testimony I haven't heard about it um I really encourage you to share your testimony because really important people are starting to take notice you know Mm. and government bodies are starting to take notice so every testimony is just ammo to creating legislative change and you're not alone and there's a big community behind you and yeah Mm. I think that's what I wanted to say Mm -hmm. thank you you're fantastic. Thank you so much we for doing you. what you're doing. This was fun. Wits has been awesome to meet you, actually. <laughs> I know. But we're shy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Only now, right at the end, I just yeah. realized. We, we had the Wait, adrenaline we before. Thank you, Jamie. Um, <laughs> okay, thank you, Jamie. Thank you. Thank you so much. Bye bye, everybody. <laughs> bye, all of our listeners out there. Bye bye bye. So some words of support that I would like to share for people who have experienced abuse in hospitality or any type of abuse. What's important to remember is if you do decide to share your experience, do not feel ashamed. You're well within your right to remain anonymous. These stories should be private if that's what you wish and you should be able to heal in whatever way is best for you. You need to be ready for other people to know about your experience because even though you are maybe choosing to remain anonymous, your experience is still yours and you need to be in a place where you are okay with people knowing that experience. Whilst in some cases time is of the essence, the world is getting a little bit better at accepting not all survivors are ready to speak right away. Ultimately, and this is the most important thing, your sharing of your experiences will help prevent this from happening to other people and help create consequences for those who hurt you. There are a number of professional support services available for anyone who wants to tell their story or ask for advice, whether that be emotional or legal. Reach Out is a fantastic website which details specific services depending on your experience. We'll link this one in the bio. And um, we'd also like to share some specific helplines regarding the issues we've discussed today, one being 1800RESPECT, which is the national hotline for sexual assault counselling. They also have an online chat available. Your conversations will remain completely confidential. Yarrow Place, 1800817421, is a South Australian public health agency. They offer 24-7 crisis response, support for survivors and family and friends. This is for anyone over 16 years old at the time of their experience. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. It's such an important and significant topic for both of us and we really want to spread awareness about abuse in hospitality. Most importantly, thank you to you guys, the listeners, for allowing us to have this platform and listening to us speak. We love you all endlessly. You can find us at The Soft Pod on Instagram. Let us know what you thought of today's episode and check out Not So Hospitable on Instagram and their website. It's such an important cause. Thank you, guys. Thank you Love very you. much. Enjoy your Monday. Enjoy your days. All of them, not just <laughs> Mondays. <laughs> End scene. <laughs>